0: Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the world knows Alan Arkin as a great film actor, but wait—he's also a fantastic singer and composer. Here he is singing one of his most beloved ballads,
1: Mr. Alan Arkin. Yay!
0: I hear from the boys upstairs you've been sticking your nose in a Ralph Elliott case. Oh, yes, Captain. Don't, yes, Captain. Me? Stay out of this. This is strictly homicide. I gotta go. You screw this one up, pal, and you'll be writing pocket tickets for the rest of your life. You got that? Captain, I won't let you down.
1: You, that was so much better. Yeah, you like Really it, terrific. You know? It was fantastic. I know, uh, the, uh, the beginning felt pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I started to get too much in the end. Uh, no, no, no. no, It was really terrific. Yeah. Look, I'd really like to discuss this, but I gotta go save a life. Let me okay? work on it. I'll work on it. Work on it, because it was terrific. And, and honestly, it was such a big improvement. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you, Don't stick your finger in your eye.
0: That will only make you cry. Music for pointing at the sky, but don't stick your finger in your eye.
1: if it's all right <laughs> all right we're back i'm maddie blake i'm in southern new england here in rhode island and uh tony's there in brooklyn new york it's been a while but you all know if you listen to this podcast that uh we had a, a well a, a sad excuse but a, certainly an excuse tony before we begin and get into these two movies damien first and second we decided not to do the third one, which. After the second one, I probably think it was a good idea. We're going to have a lot of fun in this episode, I think. Uh, but I wanted to just open up with saying I'm so sorry for your loss and that I heard from so many fans who um, have never contacted us before and just said, oh, my God, I loved his dad. Please send Tony my best. I mean, the effect he had on people is is obvious. So I want to just give you the floor and you cannot address it. If it's going to make you sad, you can address it. But I just wanted to say the floor is yours to talk about your dad as much or as little as you want to talk about him.
0: I just want to say thank you. That's very that's very sweet of you. And and the outpouring of love from fans of the show and from people from all over has just been totally overwhelming for all of us. Like my whole family uh, is just really feeling the love and support of a lot of people uh, that. You know some of whom we don't really know or haven't met but just are reaching out with love and that's been um that's been incredible you know that's been very healing and 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 beautiful part of what has been a sad time but um you know honestly uh this celebration of my dad's uh very successful and happy life and long life mm. um isn't a tragedy to me it's sad you know but um it's, uh, it's, nice to, um, it's nice to have an excuse to really celebrate him and see the world reflect on that. It's, uh, it's really powerful. As a kid of somebody, he's just my dad, you know, but going online and reading um, so many different articles and things people have said, actresses worked with, uh, it's really been something. So um, thank you, everybody, and, uh, and it's really meant a lot.
1: Um, I know a little bit about him as a man through you and what kind of father and person he was. But, you know, we are a film podcast. I'd like to talk for just a minute or two, if we could, about his film legacy. I mean, this is a guy who had some late career success with uh, an Academy Award win and things like that. But, I mean, dare I say maybe he's a little underrated. He's He's lauded and praised by universally everyone and especially some big name actors who consider him a serious influence. But I wonder if we really, I was looking when I, when I got the news that day, I was looking through his catalog. I'm going, my God, this guy did it all and did it for a long time.
0: Yeah, well he did. I mean, the thing is he also, you know, he he did a lot of things outside the movie industry too, in other, other, genres and other things like he was he started in music and he was in a folk band called the terriers that you know they were they were a pop band they played they, they toured Europe like they played all over the place <clears throat> um he was instrumental in kind of like bringing improv theater you know alive in this country he was in mm-hmm. the, the first company of Second City and and you know, his work on broadway and stuff i mean there's a lot of things that people who just know him from the movies don't know that he wrote a lot of books that he wrote a lot of music he could play any instrument you could hand to him um truly you know truly remarkable gifts that he had and um and he shared he loves to share them uh but the movie thing is you know as a movie guy myself that legacy is really powerful you know i mean I kind of agree that, that maybe he didn't get the, the, the recognition perhaps that he, he deserved, but it's kind of hard to say that now that the outpouring has been pretty big and the recognition is yeah pretty big. The stats are out there. If you read the, you know, like the New York times obituary it was like just four pages of, of stats that were incredible to me to see all yeah. in one place, you know? Um, and he really did uh, did some, everything pretty much he set out to do. You know, I can't speak for everything. He may have had a couple of things he didn't get to do, but um, but yeah, you know, the film legacy is 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 incredible, and he's kind of like a reason for our top three in a way. It links yes. up to our top three today. Yes. Um,
1: um I, it's funny we have a dad connection with our dads in a way because I remember one of my first. Movie memories, and I've never told you this before, but it, it I didn't remember it until you know this happened, and I started really reflecting on your dad. And um one of my earliest film memories is my father showing me this scary movie. So, what do you see this? What do you see this? This guy she's blind and she's in the house, and they don't know. And I'm like, What? I was like, you know, eight or nine. And 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 she, but the, she can't see them. So she turns all the lights off, and he's like, "Tell me that." And uh and it and it was your dad, of course. And I I remember him standing out. You know, he 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 stole a lot of movies that he was in, um, um. And I wonder if that's maybe why I I say underrated somehow, as famous as he is and as loved as he is. It's like it's sometimes like they say, like um, this is a horrible sports analogy, but like a great official in a sports game is the best ones are the ones that you just don't notice like in a way like he's just so gonna good give a good performance i wonder if we kind of took him for granted a little bit
0: well you know i mean they're, they're the, yeah to a degree he 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 had the spirit of a character actor you know but he started yes. he started in a lot of things in, in his, the early part of his career before he did supporting roles and even when he was starring in movies he was really hard to cast because he could play kind of anything yeah he wasn't really known like a lot of stars are kind of known for one genre or one kind of vibe or one character or one kind of attitude, you know. And my my dad's background was was different than that theater and improv and stuff. He could kind of play any any character you threw at him.
1: Yeah, foreign characters and funny, a lot and of serious foreign people, a lot of different types. And, and goofy it's he just did comedy
0: and drama equally well which yeah. i think is being discussed now a little bit more people are seeing that you know i mean he he did both uh consummately and that's not that's pretty that's fairly rare you know um yeah but i think that made him hard to cast too because people never really knew like whoa well, he could do so many things that they didn't quite know how to type him which Mm-mm. was how the business runs i think he suffered career-wise a little bit for that um but on the on the other side of that the flip side of that is that other actors really kind of got what he was doing and appreciate him in a way that maybe the studios didn't but
1: do you have a favorite performance or at least a couple uh might be be too hard to pick but yeah
0: i mean you know there's there's big classics but you know for me i like you know i'm a huge freebie and the bean fan i love that it's a terribly wrong movie in every way but i love it you turned um,
1: me on to that when we first met. I
0: his chemistry with James Caan was incredible. Yeah.
1: No lethal weapon if there's no.
0: No, exactly. You return. know that. Um I'm a big fan of um a crazy Canadian movie he did called The Return of Captain Invincible, which is about a down on his luck superhero. It's like a real B movie he did that I love. The Christopher Lee's in it, and it's you know, but and I love the seven percent solution where he played Freud in a really fun Sherlock Holmes movie. These are just weird films that a lot of people don't necessarily know he did. Um, so those are kind of my, those are kind of my secret favorites. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Whew. Well, okay. Um, thank you for doing that. And um,
0: thank you, Matty. I'm thank really you. sorry.
1: You know, I, I just, I losing a parent is not, um, it's not, it's not easy. So uh, I love you and we love you and uh, we're glad you're back. And let's laugh about goofy movies. Cause that's what he would have wanted.
0: That's exactly what he would have wanted. That's <laughs> Literally. What, that's probably what he's doing now. So let's <laughs> join him. A real loser is somebody that's so afraid of not winning, they don't even try. Now you're trying, right? Yeah. Then I mean, you're not a loser. We're going to have fun tomorrow, right?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. We can tell them all to go to hell. Good night, sweetie. I love you.
1: Well, since it's been our first podcast in a while, we decided to come with it because we're gonna do two and one here. We're gonna do the Omen nineteen seventy six, and then the follow up movie a couple of years later, Damien Omen two, uh, with Damien a little bit older. Uh, so, Tony, this is interesting. I don't even know how we um, chose these movies, but I was kind of, I was very glad we did. I hadn't seen them in a long time. I don't know that I've even ever seen. The either movie all the way through, actually, Um, it's it's another one of those film franchises that I remember in scenes like I remember the baboon scene and I remember him looking creepily at his friend and the friend choking like all these scenes, the mom falling over the thing, the elevator scene. We've actually talked about another movie
0: from two. the Omen is kind of just the collection of great horror scenes, you know, that you see. You've also seen them in a lot of anthology like horror shows and stuff.
1: yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that, um, where did it fall in terms of the extras? The first movie. Let's start with the first movie. Let's start chronologically. Uh, Nineteen seventy-six. The Omen. In case you don't know, I should set it up. Uh, the Omen kicked this, you know, really basically a three-part film series off. Nineteen seventy-six supernatural horror film directed by Richard Donner. Speaking of Lethal Weapon, um, a young Richard Donner. Uh, released by 20th Century Fox in 1976. It got mixed reviews from critics, but was a commercial smash. It grossed over $60 million at the box office, became one of the highest grossing films of that year. And it's basically about a diplomat named Robert Thorne and his wife, Kathy, uh, who have a baby, but the baby dies. And so he is given a baby named Damien. Well, as it turns out, Damien is, well, you know, the devil's son. I beat around the bush. I think it's pretty obvious what the movie's about. And uh hilarity ensues. <laughs> no, drama <laughs> ensues some hilarity. Um which actually brings me to a point because it's so funny watching these type of films as a, you know, I'm a I'm a Catholic Christian and I'm a, a reformed Catholic. I left the church for years. Uh in my twenties I was like a I was an atheist or so I said and I tried, you know, Eastern religions and I tried this and that and the other thing. I ended up coming back to Catholicism in a pretty major reconversion pretty powerful one and i i enjoy my faith so i've been asked a couple times like why you do this paranormal stuff but you're catholic and like joking about devil movies and all that and so it's interesting when we tackle one of these because i'm always a little apprehensive like and the exorcist i think is the granddaddy of them all that movie deserves some level of like respect in terms of spirituality of course Mm. it deserves respect as a film but then there's ones like this that i feel how do i say it you know this was a really good attempt i think this first one and there's a lot about it that i like um but none of it was scary to me and the reason i'm prefacing it even with faith and stuff is i'm trying to get from you this is all going to tie into film what do you think is missing? Because when I watch the exorcist, I'm, I'm very well scared. Um, and I was trying to kind of put my finger on like, what's the difference here?
0: Well, the differences between, you know, William Friedkin and Richard Donner is a pretty big difference in personalities. You know, these two directors could not be more different really, uh, in certain respects. Mm. I mean, Richard's Richard Donner is a great, great movie director. Uh, not a guy that he wouldn't let the goldfish in this movie be harmed
1: Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm.
0: famously his interviews like there's a scene where a goldfish bowl in the omen falls out falls off a balcony and smashes yeah and they were gonna have real goldfish in the bowl you know and the prop men came and brought him this bowl of real goldfish and he was like get no get fake fish i'm not killing anything for a movie like that just uh, was a hard line thing for him i'm not saying that william Friedkin killed anybody or anything in a movie but he came close and i don't think he would have minded so much
1: i know what you're getting at
0: yeah you know i, I know think exactly what you're getting at friedkin was the kind of director who like pushed the envelope of what was you know what was polite behavior let's say yeah we, <laughs> um we, yeah to get shots and to get performances is quite manipulative and and that is um i'm not even that's not even a value judgment that's just how he worked yeah i don't think i'd love to be directed by him but that's my own private business but donner seems to be another kind of person so the exorcist really wants to hurt you and i think the omen really wants to entertain you i just think Mm -mm. that's the difference you know
1: well said that's that's exactly what i was kind of looking for and kind of where i had kind of settled on it this seems to be more like uh, you know, big budget, starry version of The Exorcist, if you will, uh, in a bit. Um And yet there's things there that are, I think are really well done. I think the kid is amazing. Um And I think Richard Donner was really smart the way he directed that kid in terms of uh, he doesn't ask him to do a lot vocally or th- with dialogue. And I think that's really effective.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to just put, I get why you're saying it didn't scare you and whatever. I'm going to just push back on it to take you to where I live, which Please. on my street, this is a, you could argue that this is kind of the Star Wars of horror movies for a lot of people. Hmm. Like if you were going to go into horror as a young person in the seventies, and that was going to be your bent. And I really, really dug horror movies. Um This felt like, kids could kind of it wasn't a slasher movie it wasn't you know like you know a lot of naked teens running around and kind of r or x-rated movie this was a responsible movie almost that like your family is no not a lot of blood in it no um at all maybe none and um well not none but um so it was a movie that you could see as a kid on cable and it was like your parents would let you see it as a kid, it was terrifying and great. It set the it set this kind of genre of, of um, biblical horror research, second coming movies, which yeah. we've seen a lot of since then. Um, and I think it, it gave everybody a taste for that. And so it was a little bit like not I'm not saying it's the size of Star Wars, but a little bit for the horror crowd feels a little bit like a gateway movie into a good horror movie that's a gateway into like really much more adult intense horror. But it still has enough going for it in terms of, you know, essentially Richard Donner wanted to make a drama about yeah. this family. Uh, I don't think he's as successful as Friedkin was because I think the Exorcist script is better for character and dialogue. But yeah. you know, Richard Donner's point of view was that this—he didn't want to—he he didn't really want to tell us that this was about the devil. This was could have really just been about father having a psychotic break and postpartum depression and that kind of thing. And that's kind of why he made the film. So I think there's enough of that in there that makes it scary, but also intriguing and exciting and interesting. Um, But uh, some of it still spooks me. There's some scenes that really get me. Yeah, I I
1: guess so. I I think um, what's very interesting to that point, and I, I put this with a big asterisk in my notes is that there's really nothing that happens in this movie that you couldn't explain away through natural things,
0: right? Which is the which on purpose. Yeah, really
1: cool. Like that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. Um, you know, so that as the viewer, you could decide this is just coincidence and psychosis by the adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and it
0: puts you in that place of of trying to uncover the mystery throughout the whole movie because yeah. it never really comes down one way or another, and so you're you're actively trying. You you don't know stuff that the that Gregory Peck doesn't know. You just right. know what he knows. And right. so it keeps it pretty engaging. I miss I wish there was more of that um on the trail, you know, thing yeah. in the movie. I, I mm. think it, it suffers a little bit for not having more of that. But
1: And he gives it a class, Gregory Peck, uh Well talk look look, like
0: you said a big budget movie. This is not this is a this was like they they, they had like two and a half million dollars under three to make this. This is a low budget movie for a studio project. Mm. They had really no money considering i mean the exorcist was years before and it cost 11 million Mm dollars of course it was all shot on a soundstage and stuff more effects but still this looks like a big movie and it was a very small movie so richard donner hadn't had a hit yet they hired him because they knew he could do it because he was a tv director with great chops but he hadn't he wasn't expensive and then they got gregory peck out of some fluke like I, I don't I don't really in my research couldn't figure out when in the casting process. I know it had been out to other people that had been rejected. Gregory Peck had been practically retired for a couple of years. Wow. After some family tragedy of his own. He came to do this movie, nobody knew why. But when he signed on, then it then they got everybody else. So they got a great, great company because he showed up.
1: That's really fascinating. Um, yeah. And he he he's, he's actually, he's great in it. And, you know, everyone, everyone's really good in it. It's not like there's bad performance or anything like that. There's just like, you know, maybe my favorite scene in The Exorcist it happens between Karis and the mom in the basement when she gives the famous like, you tell me that thing upstairs is my daughter. You tell me that like, and it's just them in this basement. And it's like one of the greatest scenes in film history, you know, so you're you're holding it up against something that is so artfully done and so masterfully made um, that it's 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 kind of almost a different movie in a sense. Yeah, compare. but
0: you're I don't know. I think you're like mixing. This is like heavyweight welterweights in a ring together. I mean, like, I don't think the omen is is trying to be anything, you know, like fancy like that. The original script was written just kind of, you know, this guy, David Seltzer wrote it just kind of as a goof, you know, he didn't, he didn't have any interest in biblical prophecy. He didn't know anything about it. He kind of got Mm -hmm. this assignment and he wrote this movie. And then when Richard Donner was attached, he, he took out a lot of the supernatural stuff that was in the script. Mm so it had been even kind of goofier I think in the beginning it had been like I think there were demons in it and smoke effects and stuff and they mm-hmm. took all that stuff out but still in all it's just a it's just a really fun incredibly well made you know little 70s uh studio picture and I, and I think it it it's not trying to be the Exorcist I I, I just right. don't I don't know I don't see because isn't it more fun the Exorcist isn't fun oh oh at all. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Absolutely. No, that and that's I guess that goes back to my original point is is and that answers my question too, is you're right, the style of the director is wildly different. They're as human beings, they're probably very different. And then um I, I was just trying to think like, all right, big seventies devil movie, I guess, category. I was putting it in, maybe unfairly. And I'm like, well, why did one why is one so viscerally effective on that level, on the spiritual level, and one is not? And the answer could be and, and sounds like it is that one wasn't trying to do anything like that, really. Um, and and it is. I did not I not like it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, when I sat down to watch it, I do my usual, like, okay, this is a devil movie. Because of my belief, personally, I go, all right, I have to handle this a certain way, maybe. And then I just halfway through it, I'm like, all right, this is just... This is just great. I don't also, need any protection or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean it's also not based on a true story. They made a lot of this uh, stuff completely up.
1: That's a great point. The too.
0: biblical prophecies are fake in this. They're not they're they're I mean, some of them are real, but a lot of the the stuff that they're quoting from the book of revelations is made up that that doesn't say anything about the coming from the sea of politics and all that's not
1: sun yeah
0: no right so i mean there's there's that there's the fact that exorcist is based on kind of a real case
1: right it's Um, a great point it's a great point
0: i i I, yeah i mean i will look i've seen this movie a lot i enjoy Mm -hmm. it because it's a childhood thing for me Mm -hmm. you know um there's a lot of things i love about it and a few sequences i think are incredibly special overall though well let me just say that I agree with you in the sense that overall it doesn't hold up to repeat viewings unless you're already kind of a fan and you just like to have it on on Halloween or something gotcha um it it doesn't give you a lot new when you see it again and again Mm -hmm. unlike unlike the Exorcist which Mm -hmm. I see new things in every time I watch Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and I have new things occur to me about the characters Uh, you know same with the shining or rosemary's baby for that matter yes every time i see it it's at a different level where i'm like entranced and i i see new stuff and it's a masterworks kind of thing this movie you get it the first time you see it there there really isn't a lot of hidden (laughs) stuff in there right Right. um that's not good or bad it's just very straightforward filmmaking and i love richard donner because he's he knows what his strengths are he's not an artiste kind of guy he's a very like you know unshowy he doesn't over direct stuff he simply just tells the story he does it very lean and fast and quick and economically and I love that about it I just think that's really cool
1: he knows how to make an action scene too like yeah and that is absolutely um shown in this movie on several occasions a great sequence is one of the first times we see a potential power of damien which again you could explain away by it was a suicidal lady but that infamous birthday party scene um where the woman calls out damien damien that that is that is chilling that that that's a scary scene well that's the way when she's i'm calling out his name yeah
0: one of my choices i mean that that mm-hmm. to me is i, I mean that there is one of the best scenes in a horror movie for me i just think that Agreed. works perfectly and it's i think that is really creepy like that actually is really kind of disturbing
1: yeah i, I rewound it and what's really cool about it is you hear her before you consciously kind of know you hear her there's a child's party going on they're on a carousel, and you when you rewatch it you realize that she's going damien damien for a while before you actually everyone yeah. focuses on her which is really cool
0: it's really cool and then you know, not only does she jump and she she hangs herself off the side of the building, but then she, like, crashes through the French windows at the top. And it's just incredibly violent and, uh, and rough in front of these kids. And the screaming mm-hmm. and the melee of it is really good. I just think that's a brilliant sequence. As are a lot of the, like, big um, moments in the movie. Like, that picks its moments. And, like, the zoo sequence is great the church sequence is great, you know? Um, so yeah, um, it's got zoo- some deeper pleasures too, but.
1: The zoo sequence is another awesome example of Richard Donner knowing how to do action and um, constrict you in the car and um, yeah. well. really, really make, it, it, it kind of reminded me, of was like, oh, you know, uh, when later in the eighties, you have Cujo. Or, you know, and it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Uh, you know influence.
0: How, how they got that to happen, though. That's actually a really crazy story. So this is a little bit like Friedkinny, actually. So I, I take it back. Donner did something kind of messed up. They're they're uh, oh. at this real safari park shooting, and they're trying to get a rise out of the baboons. But they, they were just, just sitting there, just sitting around. Down, they right? can't even yeah. care. Yeah. And so they thought, well, what if we put a baby baboon in the car with Lee Remick? Oh my. And, and Richard Donner's shooting I think he's actually filming and he's in the back of the (laughs) car and he's filming the kid and Lee Remick and there's a vet in the back with him with a baby baboon and they try it and the baboons don't care they're like whatever whatever, steal one of our babies we don't care and then they're like oh what do we do and he goes well what if we sedate the leader of the baboon colony like the big you know the head honcho yeah and put him in the back of the car which they did wow they're doing the take and the baboons are like just starting to notice what's going on and the the tranks wear off (gasps) and the baboon starts to come to in the back of the car
1: holy snakey
0: and the baboons go crazy. Like all of them in the park go bananas. And so that apparently that's actually Lee Remick screaming. Cause there's, there's a baboon coming to you in like, the car next to her, grabbing her hair and trying try to come awake.
1: Holy!
0: So that, that was like basically a documentary that <laughs> sequence.
1: Now I want to go watch it again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um And we should mention since we're talking about, and she, she's great in this movie too. Um, our top three tonight is going to be very much based on the acting in this film um, because of Gregory Peck's presence and Lee Remick's presence um, and some others. We're going to do top three. Tony, what's, what are we calling it?
0: Uh, Top three, old dogs, new tricks.
1: Perfect. These are kind of older actors giving it another shot in a, in a new, new movie, which I think that's a great one. And I can't wait to uh, dive into that, but you know, that's exactly the situation we find Gregory Peck in. And I saw one thing um, where they talked about some of the other people they had considered for the role, not thinking that Gregory Peck was even in the um, running, if you will. Um, they looked at Oliver Reed. Uh, I guess William Holden actually turned it down. Uh, but would then appear in our upcoming movie, Damien Omen
0: 2. After Gregory Peck made more money than he'd ever made in his life after the, after the <laughs> Suddenly Omen. Suddenly
1: he's like, oh, maybe the is a bad idea.
0: He had 10%. Uh,
1: an offer was made to Charlton Heston. He turned it down. That's amazing.
0: Uh, he turned it down. He'd do anything. Mm-hmm.
1: Roy Scheider, Dick Van Dyke, and Charles Bronson were also considered for Robert Dick Omen. Van
0: Dyke, that was the one that I read that I I had to pause for a second and remake the movie because oh, that would be great it would well it would be different very strange
1: <laughs> it would be different um yeah so I I really did enjoy it um you're right it, it kind of it gives birth to the investigative journalist you know looking into bible passages and stuff which has become now a cliche um you're right and then I also I want to go back to the kid because I think that's such a huge part of this film I think if if you know, the kid was super young and um, so you wouldn't expect that he would do a heck of a lot of like dialogue, but there are kids that age who are asked to do things um, dialogue wise in a lot of movies like this. And he's not. And I thought that was really shrewd of Richard Donner, Richard Donner, the way he shot this child actor, the way we see him and don't see him, the facial expressions, everything it's, it reminded me of what movie were we reviewing When we talked about the way they shot the animal so
0: brilliantly. Monkey shines. Yes.
1: Monkey shines. It reminded me of
0: monkey shines. Yeah.
1: I hate to say this, but he used the kid as effectively as they use the monkey in monkey shines. I I agree. I mean, you know,
0: little, what's his name? Little uh, Harvey Stevens is, is, is either great in this or really well used. I I don't know if he's acting or just reacting to stuff. He's very young in this.
1: Yeah. I Googled him. He stopped acting. Um, I don't think he really didn't do anything else. He got arrested for assault later in life, but okay. I think he's a real estate guy or something. So I would assume, and I'm this is an assumption based on that, I would say it would probably be more the latter he was kind of like reacting to things that Donner put in front of him,
0: yeah, no no doubt there was, you know, Donner was dangling things off the side of the camera and trying to get a rise out of him. But he but he, you know, he really sells it. and I, I think you, you can't you can't overstate his contribution to it. I mean, he he if if that kid hadn't actually been unnerving and he's really unnerving he is man, he's really creepy uh the movie just wouldn't work at all agree uh, it wouldn't it's huge, so they 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 captured that perfectly, and um there's just the close ups of his looks, like the shot of him after the babysitter kills herself when he's just like on his on his dad's shoulder looking over Gregory Peck's yes, shoulder and yes. he's got this kind of blank yes stare. I don't know. They really, uh, yeah, they really did a great job. And it's also brilliantly edited movie for that, for that same reason.
1: And when Um, he is called to emote, um, like the church driving up to the church scene, he's really good. Like that's, Oh my God. That's
0: another great scene. I mean, Uh that also, I mean, that's everything's coming together in a sequence like that. First, the location that that I would be, I'd act just like him. That's the scariest church I've, I've ever seen (laughs) isolated,
1: weird Weird. hill or something. Yeah, Yeah. Um,
0: and he's really looks like he's out of control. It's yeah. brilliantly shot and cut. I mean, all right, this, let's talk about the, the people who helped make this movie. It's not just Richard Donner. I mean, David Seltzer did a fine job with the structure. It's lean and it's great. It's a little silly in the dialogue, maybe. But if you're interested in him, he he wrote that uh, radioactive bear movie called Prophecy. Yeah. And he wrote Burn on a Wire and Punchline, which comes out of nowhere. Wow. Um, Richard Donner, if you don't know him folks did Superman one and two with Christopher Reeves back in the day and also the whole lethal weapon series he's famous for that. but this movie you know who shot this movie who was the cinematographer
1: I looked only because I looked it up because I was so uh impressed with so many shots in it
0: it's beautiful movie to look Mm -hmm. at and it's Mm -hmm. shot by this guy Gilbert Taylor and Gilbert Taylor shot Star Wars and Dr. Strange Love, and a hard day's night with the Beatles and a lot of other things not bad. Edited by Stuart Baird, who did Tommy and the Lethal Weapon movies. The, I mean, the team is great. Incredibly tasteful, beautiful art direction. It looks very real, doesn't it? it does like, it just it looks does. like the seventies that I remember?
1: Yeah. The the uh, back to the baboon scene. That is very Hard Day's Night. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> it's true. Actually. It, it is. Yeah. It's it exactly is exactly true. Them getting chased and getting into a car yeah. and the rabid fans trying to claw totally. away into the car. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, So I I think the scariest part for me, besides that initial like Damien call, um, was the elevator in the hospital when Gregory Peck goes to interview the nurse in the hospital and she steps into an elevator, not the elevator scene in two where the man gets chopped in half, but the old hospital and she steps into like a wall elevator, like a dumb waiter, but for human beings. It takes her up the wall. I'm like, what is happening right now?
0: Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> free health, he- free healthcare comes with oh, some cutbacks.
1: My God. Oh, my God. It was like an, uh Yeah, it's like a, a, a dumb waiter, but for human beings. Right. And and the movie n- makes no reference to it because it's just an old way they used to put, you know, I guess medical staff on. Yeah, they just floors, shove right? the
0: post-op people yeah. onto the tray. And it-
1: I literally lost a night's sleep on that thinking about getting into that <laughs> thing and then having it get stuck in between floors. You're just looking at a wall <laughs> in front of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> terrifying um before we move on to two is there anything else about this film that we're not uh, hitting oh, yeah. on? oh yeah the music
0: yeah. is great well we're there's a few things okay we're not yeah. hitting on the music i mean jerry goldsmith won an oscar for this score and it's fantastic but he's one of the greats of all time um so it's a great great score and also i think really overlooking a particular actor uh, david david warner oh.
1: Oh yes, yes, yes! I'm yeah. a big
0: David Warner fan. I mm-hmm. love him. Y- mm-hmm. You've seen him in like Time Bandits, yeah, and a lot of other great movies. But he's um, he's fantastic in this. And I, he's I so good when he when he shows up, the movie kicks into another gear. Like when he shows up and starts working with Gregory Peck, their work together is really yeah. good. Them trying to figure out what's going on, I think, is great. And it's the best writing of the whole movie because, to me, that meeting in in warner's apartment and you can feel warner like there's some urgency behind this you don't know what it is and for a while you think he's just kind of a scummy tabloid photographer kind of yes. creep yes and then he reveals the photograph that shows actually that he has some kind of prophecy about him yes um this revolves around a, a conceit in the script which i love when he he's a photographer who takes pictures where in the negatives there's a shadow on the on the on the person that shows their coming doom right the the woman who hangs herself has like what looks like a rope shadow around her neck Mm -hmm. and that's a great i think device and that's really chilling and really really cool and i think it's also been used a lot since then so we don't give it the proper respect that it deserves because it was pretty new then
1: absolutely like yeah he he discovers that you know that um the person the priest who uh, there's a priest who's impaled and then he discovers post the death that there was a picture of the shadow going through his body. And then the photographer himself has a shadow going through his body. And then yes. that's, that's Look through he his has, neck. Through and his he, neck. Gets,
0: uh, he gets the chomp.
1: Very cool. Yeah. I thought that was super good. It, it reminded me of the exorcist a little bit of Harris going th- that scene specifically, not the conceit, but the scene of him discovering the shadow in the photo reminded me of Harris listening back to the tapes.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah right
1: kind of it was like their very very much so. of that. Um, I love
0: that scene where they stop by that when they're on the road in Italy and they stop by the highway to get coffee in the rain and they're talking biblical prophecy with each other and it's just like it just feels incredibly realistic when he when he shows up. His concern over it seems really real. I love David Warner. He's a great actor anyway, and I'll, I'll watch him in anything, but particularly that
1: I'm sorry ahead. i was gonna say one of my top three ideas uh but there wasn't one of these in the second movie when I was watching the first, I wrote down was a uh, meddling journalist. We're going to be one yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> prototype
0: prototype. Yeah. Um, so that's all great. Uh, and, you know, I mean, here's another thing I just flat out love about the movie that I think is really kind of cool. This is a movie that virtually has no jump scares in it. Huh. it. It's a horror movie that doesn't rely on any jump scares purely on suspense and, kind of tightening the screws yeah. and the unknown and the mystery of it is really what and i think that's harder to achieve
1: Definitely. and
0: um i mean even the exorcist has jump scares in it
1: yeah uh, yeah
0: this doesn't really do that and i think that's really admirable that's really cool that they uh that they managed to pull it off um so yeah there are a couple scenes that are bad let's let's admit that I mean the scene where in the beginning where they lose him by the stream and they're like, Damien, where are you?" And yeah. then he's hiding. Yeah. Terrible. I mean, that's just yeah, bad. Not great.
1: Not great. And they them as a couple wasn't, um, I would say, fully fleshed out, not, 100%. Or not necessarily believable. No.
0: Um, um,
1: there's a great scene that you just m- maybe remember because you had mentioned them using kind of non special effects and naturalistic things. The dog represents you know, Damien's power in a lot of ways, this Rottweiler dog, which is very effective and it's really cool. There's a great scene though, that was a opposite of a Dubuying, if you will, or it's at least a, the the one of the few times in a movie like this, the character acts the way you like, I want them to act. And it's when he tells the evil nanny, who's clearly there to protect Damien, hey, why do we have a dog all of a sudden? And you right. And she goes, well, and he goes, get rid of the dog, Right. Well the next time he sees the dog and it growls at him he doesn't as like in a thousand of these other movies he would just go like oh, oh, what? and and re you just back away in fear not Greg you're back. he goes hey i told you to get rid of the dog next time i see this dog it better be gone you know I'm just like oh there's like rationality in this movie and reason yeah. and um so you i wanted those,
0: to give it you love those suburban dad moments <laughs> get that dog out of my
1: <laughs> well i like it when human beings act like I think they would act given Mm. that circumstance set of circumstances and anyone who's at all not insane will be like, and, and so many of these screenplays, because they need the second scary dog scene, the lead character will just ignore that. He told her earlier to get rid of the dog. And it's like, no, I want follow up on stuff like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's attention to detail and screenwriting I want. And so I love that scene. He's like, what the fuck? I told you to fucking get rid of the scary dog lady. It's, you know. It was it was it was rationality.
0: Yeah. And it's got that gravitas that Gregory Peck brought to it. Exactly.
1: Because you know? if he doesn't do that, then he's not that diplomat that we're told he, he is right. right. A guy like that you know, would tell her, like, hey, I told you that something. Part of you worked
0: Effortlessly. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, you know, he doesn't sell his there's certain emotional things that Gregory Peck can't do. Which That's... is funny. I was writing it's like watching him have an emotional scene where he has to cry or something is it, it looks like what you'd imagine working out like a nude scene would be like for other people. (laughs) Like he's like, well, I'm going to start to tear a little bit when I turn and then I'm going to bury my face. And so you can't see. All right. So make sure the camera doesn't look at me, not crying. You got that.
1: Now I'm going to send a memo. Tomorrow's going to be my crying (laughs) scene. Everyone.
0: (laughs) I will not be shot from the left side on my crying scene so it seemed a little bit like that but overall he brought yes. like he brought just authority to this that, he that did. you know who else is going to bring that to to this part I mean even Chuck Heston wouldn't have had the same level of authority as, as Gregory Peck it's incredible um not
1: not Dick Van Dyke
0: <laughs> no no although I still want to see that version of it whom
1: I love but yeah um different
0: movie so you know shout out to you know uh the nanny, Mrs. Blaylock. Super creepy. So scary. Great.
1: Great, great, great. You know you the know. second she shows up, uh, uh-oh. She, matter of fact, she's arguably the only like the only true supernatural thing you could argue because where does she come from? How does she know? Yeah, right. And it, look, that could really be explained supernaturally. It's the devil.
0: We all know. I mean, it's like Donner's theory doesn't hold up. It doesn't. But I like the fact that he tried to, like, try to wrestle a drama out of this. Yes. Bring some reality to yes. it. Yes. Um. Do you have a favorite shot?
1: I think I think it's much like Monkey Shines. It's like um, there's two or three of them of the boys' reactions. The boys' face, like, really chilled me. And and I would say, yeah. M- Favorite shot would be the reveal of the woman calling out to Damien. The way it's the way it's handled that whole scene, but then the shot itself—it's
0: incredible. Yeah, when you reverse really to
1: her up on the he like he, if I remember correctly, he like kind of zooms in on her a little bit. She's up on the thing. You don't know what the hell's happening, and she's up on this thing and takes you to even realize that she's got a noose around her neck. It's such a cool shot. Uh, very haunting.
0: Um, I love that scene. Uh, there's just a, the shot of the of Father Brennan, the priest, uh, running across the field, uh, the, that courtyard in the yes, storm before yes. before his death. That's an incredible shot. It's a long, wide shot, and the camera pulls back. And the, they must have had so many wind machines, but like uh, it must have been huge because they were out of the frame. They have this whole you know uh, backyard of the church is just you know crazy with wind and leaves. Beautiful shot. And then I will say that the sequence as cool as the impalement is, it it, it would not have been done any differently in like a Monty Python movie, though. Yeah, Literally. Yeah,
1: yeah. like he, <laughs> No human would stand there that long watching something sharp fall on them. But his
0: running to the, you know, climbing yeah. the fence and the yeah. way it's cut. Like, that's yeah. exactly what, what Terry Gilliam would have done with yeah. it.
1: Uh, 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 (laughs) uh, 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 as he screams you cutting back to the sword that's coming down it's so
0: holy grail man yeah yeah
1: um yeah he's a good actor too that that and that that's another example by the way of um again if you just looked at it empirically and wanted to be a cynic about these things in, in real life i mean like if you were a character involved with this and you didn't believe in the devil you'd say well priest got caught in a windstorm and he panicked and he tried right. to get in the church and a thing fell through him. Like, there's nothing right. that happens that is not explainable nah. through natural well, events. You,
0: you know, know. I, look, I have, you know, coming from no, no sp- spiritual denomination whatsoever, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm open to all of it. I'm the reverse of, uh, of an atheist. I'm like, yeah, open it's all. Night all it's all open all night. <laughs>
1: yes, sure. I, love that. I quote you all the time on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like that's, that's effective filmmaking that you can leave it to the audience to go yeah. like, well, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. That could have just been the wind, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was so crazy because he was well, in this crap. Yeah, and they
0: say that he you was know? like a morphine addict or something. Right? And yeah. that they yes, say that yes. the girl who the babysitter was like a heroin addict. And yes. like, they give a backstory for why this stuff could have happened. Yes. And that's why I
1: say the the creepy, the just the appearance of the creepy nanny mm-hmm. might be the only real supernatural title this because like how does she know that he's the devil's son? She just kind of appears on the scene and, and answers an ad. And unless there's something to this, how would she know to go be his protector? Right.
0: Big time freak out in this movie, though. I think uh, you gotta give some credit to the to the tomb when they open the tomb at that cemetery and they reveal the skeleton of the actual baby's mother um that kind of tips it over into the supernatural right there Good but point. also it must be said that at the time that was the scene that people freaked out in the theater That it about. was
1: like a jackal in there
0: yeah the bones yeah. of like a of a dog and it oh, yeah, it yeah. um that was the at the time like the most disturbing thing i think for the whole audience they went cr- they, people funny. went crazy on that it was a very talked about moment
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think that's where my kind of modern eye was being maybe affected you know because it was just such it was just just read like a set to me so strongly that i kind of yeah that that,
0: they didn't sell that that was the only thing that was built it was it was a it was a they had to build a set for that indoors and so it didn't look like the rest of the movie had suffered a little bit for that but it's still a really well cut sequence and Mm -hmm. was you know people talked about that dog skeleton for weeks after that when it came out amazing
1: amazing well, and and as they say in the in the second film, uh, "Born of a Jackal," which that right. scene that scene indicates. Um, so let's let's gently transition into the second one because I I don't know that um, I I don't know this is going to make our vote at the end of the day at the end of this episode harder because I think you can hear by both of us that we're leaning positively towards the first one. Second one might be a little different.
0: Um well yeah. Um yeah.
1: So we start off right off the beginning, I was like, uh oh, we might be in trouble here. I had no expectations. I do remember seeing scenes of this movie too. I remember that age Damien. As a matter of fact, when I think of Damien, most times I think of this kid. So I must have seen it when I was a little older. And um I think of the military school, and I definitely remember the the ice scene. Um the ice skating scene. Yeah,
0: that's Uh, a great sequence, actually.
1: Um, but we start off with
0: kind of like a this kind of Ernest
1: Hemingway looking guy driving through a city in the Middle East. And he is sitting at a table. He's all panicked. And he's talking about how. Um, Bugenhagen. Right. Right. Who we know from the first movie. And, um, but he's all fired up about that Damien's alive. And that this is the Antichrist. And he shows it to uh, this, this archeologist. And the we get it. They go to an archeological site and the, the we get a jump scare early early in those scenes. And it's like a crow. And I kind of went like, "Uh Oh, like that. There was nothing like that, that happened in the first one. Um, I felt like, remember the cold open in the exorcist that we love so much. I was like, this is like, like trying to do that. I think, but mm-hmm. just like not great. And then, then something happened that happened in the new Indian Jones movie too, which spoiler alert, I hated, but um, they go through these tunnels and this happens in some of these not as good movies there's an archaeological site and the guy goes follow me and all he does is walk a little further down a clearly man-made tunnel that's been there for a long time and suddenly reveals this incredible thing that is just sitting there anyway like he just walked a little further and he's like oh it's the whole of Babylon and then he dusts it off it's like <laughs> it was right there you like it's the site's been excavated already everyone yeah. knows it's there I don't I don't so that made me angry out right of the bat
0: yeah it's well yeah it it's it's not a terribly good movie and and but here's the weird part about it like it's it's basically just a remake of the first one with with a little bit of exorcist thrown in like a little bit of that thing in the beginning like thrown in for good measure just to beef up the supernatural part of it more a few more kills a little bit more like you know uh bloody moments but it's the same idea and William Holden is just a stand in for Gregory Peck and you the know, he's a little
1: older. He's got, yeah. a he's got a story. Now he gets a chance to act. Lee
0: Grant is a stand in for Lee Remick. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. um, and then it has a little bit, like a little bit of a Cronenberg vibe to it with the company, you know, Robert Foxworth and him running the company. Now, I actually got to say like, it took me a while to think that I didn't like it very much I was I was on board because it's oddly like pretty tight and they spent more money on it than the first one which you can kind of see a little bit it's you know it's beautifully art directed it's really well shot by Bill Butler who shot Jaws and other great films it's a good team but something happened the director um the director was replaced Uh, This guy, Mike Hodges, Hmm. English director who directed the great, wonderful Get Carter, among other movies. Slash the remake, by the way. Thanks for reminding me. Sorry, Michael. Um, It's quite all right. Uh, Bill Butler also shot Rocky II, for instance. There's a lot of things that are connected.
1: You're goddamn right he did. Yeah. And the Rocky movies might be making an appearance in our top three. Don't worry about it
0: and so okay and so don taylor like took over for mike hodges after about three weeks i don't know really why but it's mm-hmm. never a good sign so stuff was troubled i don't know why and then uh, you get a movie kind of like that's they're just like trying to hit all the notes from the last one they don't have anything new to add to it it's kind of cool for me to see damien as a teen yeah and i think he is really also really good in it jonathan scott taylor I is, thought, did a great is. job
1: it's not terrible it's no, just, it's well
0: acted. The whole movie's got a good it's yeah, got a good cast. Everybody's good in it.
1: What they did however though, you're right, is they kind of like it's like what I say about cover songs. When bands do cover songs, I'm like don't just redo the song with your band. Give me something. Change the tempo, add a crazy solo, bring you to it. Don't just do the song over again. And I feel like this movie they just tried to make the other one and yeah. worse than that. They tried to insert themes and stuff into it to get it to make it a little deeper than the first one. And they just didn't have the deft touch for a Hemplo, There's a scene where Thorne's number one guy who stands against the young wannabe new president. Uh, they have a, they have an argument about taking over land and because this young Guy wants to be president, wants to take land and hold people hostage for food and blah, blah, blah. And the old stalwart says, well, I don't think it's ethical to be stealing that land. And he goes, well, it's not stealing the land. We'll be feeding them and taking care of them. And as they're having this conversation, there's this giant Indian statue literally right in between them of a Native American with a huge headdress on. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. This is like that movie that they did about the Stephen King uh, Native American theory in The Shining. Oh, no, it's not. It's right there in my face. The entire dialogue. Yeah. Pushing it a
0: little bit much. Yeah. (laughs) There's
1: a bunch of things like that. And this is like they tried to add themes very ham handedly. Mm -hmm. Um, And And it gets conspiratorial
0: like the way that, you know, more late 70s government conspiracy movies did
1: and corporate corporate lecturing us about why corporations are evil yeah and these family corporations can be evil. of
0: course they are so thank you um especially
1: by the way we have to redo our perm top three because this guy who played that young wannabe president robert
0: foxworth robert foxworth has the best one of the greatest perms i've ever seen and it's real it's like his thing it's his though like he owned it yeah he was like he looked like mike brady's
1: brother he looked like robert reed's brother
0: very good actor man under underrated actor I he's think. good the whole though whole, it's good man Lance Henriksen's good in it yeah Alan Arbus is really good in it, good in it um you know William Holden is great in it I mean it's yes, like he shows yeah. up yep but yeah, nobody took any there wasn't any risk for anybody though it's like the first one is like you know you see people really reaching and and, and trying for something and this is just they were all just trying to keep it kind of safe but I will say watching Lou Ayers get Trapped under an ice uh river of ice is is pretty fantastic. That's a hell of
1: a scene. And it's really and o- good. Obviously, um, what about I don't know, six, seven, eight years later or so, or nine, I don't know. Um, the dead zone definitely <clears throat> yep. inspired by that whole mm-hmm. sequence, no question mm-hmm. about it. Really good. Um, which is by the way, the second time I've mentioned a Stephen King movie being influenced by one of these two movies. So that speaks to probably its effectiveness, right? In yeah. terms of
0: I mean, In it's a, of... it's, a, it's, a, it's an original idea yeah. and script mm-hmm. and story. It's kind of mm-hmm. cool. It didn't come from a book or something else. Right. It's really it's kind of well, cool to that way.
1: Arguably, the Bible. But... Well, okay, you're the <laughs> you're the
0: scholar, so I'll let I'll let you handle <laughs> that part kidding.
1: of it. You know, it was one of the funny parts. I thought, speaking of like the whole lore that they they kind of built upon and added to the mythos of of, of the whole devil thing, and they kind of talked about this character who had a vision of the devil and he made art. About it, and that art was hidden for years by the church, but now we found it, and then the art dealers. But one of the funniest, I think unintentionally funniest things was the art dealer for Thorne was talking to Thorne's wife, and they're walking down the hallway and he's all like cheery and happy. He's like, So this, you know, ancient exorcist from middle had a vision of the devil, and he drew them and and made him insane. And I've got them for a birthday present for Doug. (laughs) mark and i'm like oh wow what a what a great gift thank you
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's goofy stuff in it there really is. is you know i mean there's and there's also one misstep that got me so angry that makes it immediately off this one off i can't support it because there's like the worst mistake all right there's a scene at the, uh, at the Academy with all these teen little cadets and Damien is the, like the upper crusty kind of like kind of aloof one, you know, who's got the best honors and he's the best cadet, but he's kind of, he's kind of aloof and a, a better than everybody else. It's surprise, surprise. Cause he's Satan. And, um, there's a scene where a bunch of the kids are like in detention and they're waiting outside the principal's office or something. And Damien gets into a fight, with uh like the thuggish stupid kid the dumb yes. one right yes. the droog and yep. he um he gets he gets into a fight with him and then damien kind of takes him out with a mental satan telepathy vibe right any darth, and he, darth and, vader yeah and he darth vader's him and the kid starts you know clutches his head and he's screaming and he's terrified and it, and it's a fairly effective moment in the movie yep, it, kid does no. a good
1: job yep
0: And it's really kind of creepy. Like, nobody knows what Damien just did, but clearly something happened and it terrorizes this kid. Cut to like three scenes later, they cut back to the school and they're all just hanging out together again. Like, this kid got over that and is still hanging out with Damien and they're just going all around together. Like, he takes him to his uncle's chemistry he factory tours the,
1: he tours the plant and he's just the, smiling what do you think of this guy? Like, oh, I didn't,
0: they, why didn't they just have a scene where this like this kid now this kid like left the left the cadet school he just left
1: or that, or even better pledges his fidelity in a creepy scene to
0: damien something right? yeah but it just seems like they ignored like, that, oh, that it, it happened
1: yeah we got to do the tour scene now and that yeah. was not and, something and something i noted was based on that scene Later, it comes time for Damien to kill his cousin, and they just copy the exact same scene, which was disappointing to me. Um, boy, you couldn't think of maybe there's another way he could kill him, and like just that maybe ups ups the notch a little. One Cronenberg
0: was blowing up people's heads by right. this point. Like, let's right. do something
1: let's do something. And maybe they want to keep it naturalistic, whatever, yeah. even so still use nature. Cause yeah. the first movie did, but the first movie used nature in different ways for different kills.
0: Totally uninspired. Totally, totally uninspired. uninspired. However, you know what? The, 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 that young actor was really good in that scene. He was. Scott Taylor where he's conflicted. Totally sold it. You know, I think he played mm-hmm. that. was it the, the only maybe interesting thing about the movie you could argue is, was, was that they, they showed, they tried to show anyway, young Damien's, conflict about learning that he was who he was
1: yes that that he he didn't want to accept
0: it at first i thought was an interesting uh, choice you know Um, yes and they just didn't delve further into it because once you make that choice then you're almost in like shakespeare territory and you need a better writer. (laughs) you just need (laughs) need a better writer yeah and they didn't
1: really show but that's a good thing they didn't and that's even a perversion so they say like when you have these movies and things like that and um and, and sometimes you talk about these spiritual matters, they say that like the devil or these demons will pervert everything that Christ did. So they'll inverse it. Right. So that's why they say like things happen at 3am. Oh, okay. Um, because, they, and then, and, and it's, I thought it was the only kind of effective writing I thought in in terms of that storyline was, you know, when Jesus is about to be crucified, um, he goes to the garden and, basically begs his father like if you can let this pass through my hands if there's another way in other words please and and then he he sweats blood as the account of the bible he kind of has a basically a confrontation with his father you could say or or a a, 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 you know come to jesus meeting (laughs) literally (laughs) and this movie i thought that was very interesting they basically did the same thing this is the son of the devil realizing what he's called to do and he's like why do i have to do this if there's another way why me And he goes to water and yells at his dad, basically. And and I thought that was really kind of interesting and effective psychology and and kind of well-written, actually.
0: So, yeah, there you go. Good. There's good and bad here.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it is not
0: entertaining the way the first one is at all.
1: Agreed. I didn't want to go back to that world. I wanted to go back to the first one. There was something homey and 70-ish about it. This one... It felt 80s, even though it wasn't in the 80s. It felt kind of like a world I didn't well, want to go back yeah. to.
0: And also, I think, they, you know, I mean, if you're going to just remake the movie, they, they, you might as well pick the, the thing that's most fun about The Omen, which is the European whirlwind tour of The Omen. The Omen is like, it's like a Bond movie. You
1: yes, know, it's like yes, they're going yes. all over the place Research. and traveling to Israel yes.
0: and, and Italy and yes. England and Germany. And it's like... That's a really cool part of the movie, like really high end, you know, 70s government plane, like private jets and stuff. It's really cool.
1: Great point. None of
0: that in this. Yeah, it's just no. like banal. It takes place in Chicago. It's, yeah. it's just like it's not it doesn't have the same style.
1: Yeah, it was 78. It felt like 80 or 81, like the, the crappy part of the 80s. Like not even the good like 85 80s. It was like it felt and it wasn't even the 80s and they but it felt like that was I don't know. It just was felt... in that
0: indecisive late 70s period where you're like, yeah, are we gonna not, do 80s yet? Not quite yet. Well Yeah, almost.
1: and it almost got it almost got, you know, Austin Power ish um with the whole corporation. Uh it was getting yeah. a
0: little that scene, uh, you know, where the the gas leaks in the in the at the factory and stuff was, I, I that was pretty hokey.
1: And even the tour of the factory
0: is really ham-handed.
1: Yes. Like, look, we're going to take over the land and feed the yes. people. make sure well, you we put your goggles them. on. That's immoral. We can't steal their land. We're not stealing the land. We're feeding them. You know, it's like, oh boy, okay. Yeah. Uh, my favorite line in both of either movies is unintentionally funny line. It's when William Holden is is decided he's gonna go to New York City to see if if Damien's face really might be on this wall is probably why he's going, but he can't quite tell his wife that. And because she thinks he's crazy for paying attention to it at all, he says, I actually wrote it down. Um, she's like, You think there's actually something to any of this? He's like, No, no, no. Well, the only thing is Robert was shot in a church while trying to stab Damien. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well come to think of it yeah look Which man this I movie devolves by it. the end like the end like the tr- on the train with the picture and it doesn't look anything like him and it didn't look
1: just, like him so just, I, go, I go why is he looking at the horror babylon picture like that was the damien picture that he yeah it, it made no sense and then another example of a man screaming way too long with his yes doom.
0: yes <laughs> oh yeah that that's whole sequence didn't really work <laughs> Plus, so he looks like the guy in the painting that doesn't prove anything. doesn't prove anything it reminded
1: Damn. me. You know what it Damn reminded it. me of? Uh, Ghostbusters. I think it's two. The evil guy's in a painting.
0: Yeah, that's two.
1: Yeah, Gorgamella or whatever his name was. Um, Gorgonzola. <laughs> it's like they stole that from that. So, uh, all right, Tony. Mm, this is going to be tough. Before we get to our top three, which is Old Dog, New Tricks. Older actors appearing in new franchises to try to kickstart their career or to take a chance. Old Dog, New Tricks. Top three of all time in film. Before we get to that... Ooh, the Damien franchise, which we didn't even watch the third. Now I do want to go back and watch the third, and I think I'm gonna just out of curiosity to see how they wrap this thing up.
0: Um, I recall the third maybe being a little better than the second one.
1: Okay, that makes me want to watch it. Um, um yeah. do we do we put these? Okay, I I'm gonna make a motion here. We've never done this before that I can remember. Okay, I I'm so torn. Because I feel like Damien the Omen has to be on a paranormal shelf. But does the strength of the first one carry the second one over the line to get it on the shelf? Because if the second one was just on its own, I wouldn't put it on. So I'm torn. So can we let the third be the tiebreaker and, and hold on to our votes? Or do you know right now if, if you want it on or not?
0: Um, well, look, I just want to bring up the idea that Omen was not made at a time where sequels were to complete okay I mean Superman hadn't even been made yet let alone Superman 2 right right? which kicked all that stuff off right so the omen one it's just the omen there is no omen one it's the omen and it's a standalone film wasn't considered or conceived as a franchise was a one-off original story and script and because it made a lot of money Studios like you know then after the fact decided to world build and do it. So I, I don't have any problem thinking that these are separate films. You know what I mean?
1: I do, so, but, I, but I, they I, exist. So we have to, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to announce this. I'm going to hold my vote until next week.
0: Well, why, why, why should, why should, why should a, a crappy movie like Omen two, why should Omen one suffer for that? Because they had nothing to do with it. They didn't know it was ever gonna get made. They didn't they didn't have they didn't direct it or or anything.
1: Because we decided to do, because we're dummies, the franchise or at least one and two.
0: And your so, algorithm doesn't allow for the subtlety of one movie getting on the shelf and the other not? I mean, I, I no. own the omen and I don't have the omen two. In real life I have a shelf and the omen is on it, and the omen two is not on it. So how is your math work?
1: We have to vote. On the Omen franchise being part of our canon or not, can't just pick one, and that's why I'm going to wait for three. If three is terrible, it ain't going on. If it's even halfway decent, it's going on, because two just knocked one down a notch for me. That's all.
0: Okay, let me let me just. This is what you're kind of saying, okay? That Halloween, the movie Halloween, the the one of the holy grails of of 70s horror movies, right? My
1: favorite horror movie of all time. Okay,
0: your favorite horror movie of all time. Mm-hmm. It's 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 over for that movie because what what followed destroyed it and you cannot argue with that.
1: I have the perfect answer for you because I thought about this. The difference is is that we did not say we're going to review Halloween 1 through 3 or 1 through 4. We said we're interview, we're going to review Halloween. But in this episode we said we're going to review the Omen franchise but not 3.
0: Okay, well, I don't know what you said. It was so long ago that we did a show. You could have said anything. I don't know what I agreed to. All
1: right, you put one on, and then we'll both vote on the entire franchise next week. I I, I want to do what you want to do. I want to do it your way. One's One's on for me, too. How about that? One's on for me, too. But there is a difference between saying the Omen is on our list and the Omen franchise is like all three movies are on our on our shelf. That's different. Different. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean so I'm I gonna never, reserve I judgment
1: because I don't think two is that bad that it is like horrible. So it's if three not, is just... if is halfway decent, I'm gonna put all three on. That's what I'm saying. But I need to see okay. it. I need okay. to see it. So gotcha. if three's if three's weak like two then they're not going on but one i am
0: two, with three. you i think there's also then been remakes that we'd have to see and and, and, and take into consideration because then that's the franchise
1: no we can't do that there's one through that's three. the that's franchise it. no that's one not nope no nope.
0: it nope. doesn't work that way
1: none of the creed movies exist I'm taking it's your toys away rocky you can't it's ha- just rocky creed movies do not exist
0: i don't see that that works mathematically vis-a-vis vis- vis <laughs> vis- vis that Stallone is involved in the, in the, in the Creed movies.
1: It's still my prize. Created it. My prize down here in my man town is the boxing gloves from your father and Celestia Stallone's movie. That's right. You got me those boxing gloves. That's That's right. Prize possession. I'll never, it's the closest I've ever been to Sly.
0: I'm going to come down there and put those gloves on and smack you senseless.
1: Perfect segue into our top three. All right. Our top three is old dogs, new tricks. These are the top three. Older actors in film history who attempted to be in a new movie or movie franchise, they tried something different. They tried to, late in their career, I'm going to do this role in this crazy new movie and see how it goes. I want to make a little comeback here later in my
0: career. Yeah, Let's expand a little bit and say not just a tenth, but succeeded at it, right? Otherwise, why wouldn't we have it on there? The other thing would be um, also not just a new kind of thing, but something like... It's just just, of a flavor they'd never done. Like, yes, yes, very new for them. A new generation of filmmakers that they'd be working with. Love it. Taking a chance.
1: Love it. Maybe not what they were known for. Right. right? Yeah. Okay. Old dog, new tricks. Tony, number three.
0: Okay. Um, Number three for me would be uh, Mr. Sterling Hayden in a movie called The Long Goodbye.
1: Oh, Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Late seventies. Um, yeah, you turn me on to that flip. Robert Altman movie. Yeah, uh, great, great, Shaggy Dog detective. Yeah, kind of comedy horror movie. Great, and Sterling Hayden um, plays this old drunken guy who uh, old um, Hollywood type, very much like what he was, but he hadn't been in a film in a while, and hmm. um, it uh, it's it's really something to see him really really give a performance you know really show up for somebody as weird as altman uh, to do to really commit to something as is out there as altman was doing back then just i love it
1: it's a great one that's a great one i'm gonna go number three uh jack palance in city slickers although although he was known as playing these kind of tough guy cowboys he had never done anything in a comedy like this that I know of, like a broad comedy. No, he
0: wasn't known for comedy at Um, all.
1: My dad showed me uh, Shane when I was a kid, and um, I just always remember Jack Palance from that. So when City Slickers came out, I guess I was in my 30s. By the way, uh, if you're about my age, 51, 52, City Slickers is worth a revisit because I watched it recently and I was an emotional ball on the floor practically, and I liked it when it came out. But I was 35 or 38 or 27, whatever I was. I don't even know. But it did not have the power over me that it had now at 51 or 52. Um, because but You, you I, weep I, I at
0: like Pfizer commercials now, though, right? It's 100% true. Yeah. I've and uh,
1: the one thing, Jack Palance doing a, the one thing. You need the one thing. So great. So that was my number three. Jack right. Palance. And Love
0: stars. it. Jack Palance, man. Uh, have, you, have you ever never... seen The Big Knife? That's no. my favorite Jack Palance movie. Uh, no, I never have. Yeah, great classic noir movie number two my number two is Betty davis and whatever happened to baby jane
1: Ooh, that was her first like horror thing
0: her first horror thing yes She's um
1: terrifying in that
0: well yeah she hadn't been on screen in a while um she Great one. you know i, I don't Think that acting is brave a lot there's not a lot of performances that i go oh that's brave you know it's it's technical it's not always brave as it looks but that for her to to do that performance and to make herself that ugly and that extremely uh messed up yeah uh and and that modern a kind of performance after you know in the 60s as this older woman was so brave of her and 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 totally committed to it she is terrifying in this movie and unhinged and and weird in a way that like david lynch would understand you know and to realize she started in the in the 30s in hollywood you know um that's that's staying power and that's somebody yeah. that's willing to to work with young directors at a, a like, later stage in her life where she's really risking looking ridiculous looking
1: horrible and ridiculous yeah and huge
0: huge performance great stuff for me
1: great call wow um my number two is going to be (laughs) in the aforementioned um my perhaps my favorite horror movie of all time it's certainly the one that i go to the most during halloween it's halloween and it's donald pleasance um great i mean you know he takes a risk on a I Don't know, n- no budget or movie, yeah. No, like, yeah, you know what I mean. And,
0: and he did uh, not want to do it, he was unhappy. He, you know what, he didn't want to do it and he, uh, until the money came in. He was like, I can't believe I've done this ridiculous. Oh, oh, yes, I guess I will do two, three, and four. And five. you see,
1: the themes it's- of Halloween,
0: oh. <laughs> 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 no, yeah. but I just he's so good in it. No, and, uh, I love Pleasance, and that's a yeah. great call, yeah, yeah great yeah. call. Um. I do have honorable mentions, so I'm not stopping. I do too. I do too. This is a big topic, but, um, so my number one then would be William Holden, but not from this movie. Okay. From network. Oh, Um, of
1: course, of course. Well, of course I
0: forget. he, He was, he pulls off a movie star turn as an older gentleman in this movie with so much charm and gravitas and authority and. You know when he has a script as good as that unlike what he has here you can really see what what a crafty actor he was really great yes yes Um, not the kind of actor we have much anymore it's like incredibly solid you know tough guy but smart um and um i just i love that movie and i i i just think he's kind of underappreciated in general but for that movie really yeah
1: that is a great choice and that movie is um yeah, an all timer, man, mad as hell. My number one. I mean, I I would have wanted to name the award after him, but I was so proud to have this be my number one, and it's uh Leslie Nielsen and the Naked Gun Friends. There you yeah,
0: go, fantastic, perfect. That is that's an ideal choice. Ideal,
1: like a serious actor who really you know. Go back and look at like movies. Forbidden
0: Planet, you yeah. know, and see yeah. what what he was doing in the fifties, and then yeah. see what he was really thinking in the fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: and then the whole second half of his career, he gets famous for those movies and carries a fart machine. Yeah, with to him every everywhere. junket interview he did. Oh, I love I mean, him so. Much. I want that's like my he's my spirit he's animal, the
0: greatest. And <laughs> I mean, you know, you could I mean add to that airplane that yes. really kicked it yes. off, and then. The TV show police story, you know, which was also incredibly great.
1: So funny. Yeah, it should have been Airplane, actually, because that started his whole journey into the Naked Gun. Even Dracula
0: Dead and Loving It, I will watch any day. Super funny. little camp. Great choice. You got Tom? Any got honorables?
1: I do. I can run through them real quick. Um, This one I put on honorable mention because he wasn't known as a serious actor, although he played that way. But Ted Knight doing Caddyshack, I think, was a bit of a risk for him because of... Because even though he was a comedian, he was hooking up late in his career with some wild dudes.
0: Well, yeah, working with that crew was a whole different group of people right. for him. Yeah. So it
1: doesn't quite fit, but I... I no, do I think
0: it really does. That's smart. That's really... This, that's in, in the comedy thing. That That's, this, that's exactly what we're talking it about. You know? It was
1: a risk. It was a risk. Burgess Meredith as Mickey and Rocky.
0: They're fantastic.
1: Um, Pat Morita, Karate Kid, you know, okay. taking on that role.
0: Although uh, like, like he's not career. really known known for anything before that. I mean, he's was well, in stuff, but,
1: but yeah. Arnold, like he... I guess you could say happy days sitcom actor kind of thing. And then, yeah. Okay. Did. Yeah. Okay. That's why I was an honorable mention. Who's the old tough guy in reservoir dogs.
0: Oh uh, well, yeah. Uh, Lawrence Karen Tierney. Ch-
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. on my honorables too. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, and I just have, uh, two more, uh, Richard Crenna Rambo doing an, <laughs> great. doing great, like, right, right on. And, um, this one is a little bit of a cheat again because he was a dramatic actor in it's a dramatic role, but I don't know if he had done like this type of movie before. Robert Shaw and Jaws, like had he done like a, well, there was no such thing as a summer blockbuster before Jaws, but like. He'd already
0: been in From Russia With Love. He'd, he'd already been through the Bond world. So yeah, kind of, but gotcha again like
1: more of, that's more of a career resurgence like lucky role than, than much, him taking yeah. a risk right okay all right well and it's also yeah.
0: like he he had a career defining role after an amazingly long career already right. and then gotcha. he like did something
1: gotcha which reminds me a long. little
0: bit of my dad I mean he's on my honorables for Little Miss Sunshine because he never yeah. really stopped working and he'd always he played parts similar to this but nothing quite like it and to come out and work with a brand new young director team and and like a sundance kind of project that was all new very young people and to win his oscar for it was pretty cool so props to you dead on that um uh he tops my honorable mentions he should really be the you know the 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 old dog Allen arkin tricks yeah he should, oh, the, he should be the you know the he's the name of this award, flagship yes. We should call this entire
1: podcast The Alan Arkin Presents Rated B for Paranormal. <laughs>
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. My list is, I'll just briefly go through it, um, Alec Guinness and Star Wars. Oh, of course. You know? Of um, course. Pretty heavy. John Gilgood in Arthur.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Paul means- Newman in The Verdict.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: That
1: um, yeah, was late in his career. How about he, he did... Uh... Road to Perdition, too late, late, late. That was one of that was very roles, late, yeah. But it it
0: wasn't what yeah. the verdict was. The verdict is like one of his great right. performances, if right. not his best. uh Boris Karloff in Targets, with Peter Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich's oh. early, early like really low budget horror movie. It's fantastic. Oh, wow.
1: And Car- Karloff, um, well.
0: Wow. And my last one will be uh, Catherine Hepburn in a, in a delicate balance, which is a filmed version of an Edward Albee play. Oh my that god, that is incredible. And if you want to see like. What a real actor is like, you know, she can do anything. And if you think she's just like, you know, a flipperty gibbet from yeah, yeah, bringing a yeah, yeah. baby, which she was great at. Yeah. No, sir, she could All do right. anything. Incredible. I'll check
1: it out. I just thought of another one, uh, which we featured on this very podcast. Ossie Davis in um, yeah. <laughs> Bubba
0: Hotep. There you go. That's the honorary award right there. That's incredible.
1: <laughs> Tony, we had talked to my friend, Jason Shook, uh, the showrunner for Skinwalker Ranch, one of the executive producers, the secret of Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, I actually got to appear on a spinoff show called Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, and it involved the Bridgewater Triangle. So we're going to talk about that. I'll tell you behind the scenes what really happened, um, You can get that on demand now. So if you want to go find that episode, it's the Beyond Skinwalker Ranch episode. I believe it's episode number six. When they go to the Bridgewater Triangle, I'm their local expert or one of their local experts. I take them out in the field and weird stuff happens. And I'll tell you everything that went on, everything behind the scenes, the whole deal.
0: You will not be disappointed. You will see Maddie vaguely uncomfortable yeah. on camera, possibly for the first time. I've never really seen that before.
1: Yeah, no, true that.
0: Congressional hearings are happening regarding... um possible disclosure uh, events
1: yes actually we might have a delay I'm glad you brought that up because I'm actually going to Ireland when you get back so Mm -hmm. little delay when we come back we'll go over Skinwalker we'll go over those UFO hearings and until then Tony thank you thank you Alan Arkin for the years of entertainment and uh, we love you both and glad you're back buddy
0: glad to be here man Laura was a laughing girl Joyful in the day Laura was my darling girl Now she's gone away Weep all ye little rains Whale winds wail all along, along, along the Colorado
1: Trail.
0: Weep all ye little rains, well winds well, all